You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Elizabeth Cassio. Today, we are talking with retired FDNY firefighter, Kenny Ruwain, who after 43 years of service to the New York City Fire Department, found himself on the other side of our life-saving mission. Kenny retired from the department in 2013, and shortly thereafter, on November 24, 2015, he was found unconscious in his home by his wife, Nancy. Firefighters from Engine 308, paramedics from Station 50, and EMTs from Jamaica Hospital responded to Kenny's home and provided him with life-saving care during those critical moments. In May 2016, Kenny, along with 12 other individuals who suffered cardiac arrest in 2015, were reunited with the first responders who helped save their lives at the FDNY 22nd Annual Second Chance Brunch. Today, we are sitting down with Kenny to hear about his life of service and his experiences going into cardiac arrest and then being reunited with the first responders who saved his life. Kenny, welcome. Thank you, Liz. I'm very happy happy to be here. We're happy to have you here today. (laughs) In both ways. (laughs) So as a firefighter with over 40 years of service, how often would you say you came in contact with a patient in cardiac arrest? Can you even number it? I would say probably 5,200 times. And and you provided CPR at the time for those patients, the ones that... Not, you know, not everybody, but uh, certainly in the last latter stages when we became uh, first certified responders. first responders, then that's basically when we started to do it. So I would say I probably did it then at least 25, half, half those times, probably 25 to 50 times, you know. Did you ever revive any of them? Yeah, I, I did it the old way with... Uh, mouth to mouth. I would do the mouth to mouth mm-hmm. and everybody else would be doing this, doing, uh, the doing the impressions. And uh, I never got relief. <laughs> everybody, everybody got relief on the compressions, but no one would relieve me. <laughs> I did that like three times. So you're really dating it. That's and before the, we even oh, had yeah, yeah. bag valve mask. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to say it's a lot nicer to use a bag and, you know. Oh, definitely. Even so a I pocket a, face mask. I carried it after my third one because the woman was on Lexington Avenue and her husband was there. And uh, she threw up in my mouth and... Uh, that's not something you forget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had to continue. Absolutely. You know, and I didn't think after that I could ever do it again. <laughs> so I always carried a pocket mask in my pocket, and I didn't have to use it until eventually we were part of EMS and we had the uh, bags. And we, we, every time after that I used it, I was using a bag. A few of the times it was after fires where people were badly burnt. Well, you know, speaking of evolution of technology and skills, so you go from mouth to mouth to having a pocket face mask yep. to having a bag valve mask. And now today for the layperson, they don't even have to learn mouth to mouth. They can yep. just learn compressions only CPR, which hopefully as it catches on, because a lot of people don't realize you don't have to do mouth to mouth anymore. But hopefully we can get a lot more people to learn the skill because the majority of people go into cardiac arrest at home, like yourself. Right. Right. right? You were at home. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. November 24th yeah. of last year, two days before Thanksgiving. I, yeah. Presumably you're gearing up for the holiday. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm what were ready, you doing yeah. that day? You remember? Well, I had just woken up and I was looking at the computer, which is what I do sometimes, you know, in the morning, just surfing the stuff. internet. Were you feeling ill? No, or did not you at just all. No, I had collapse? no signs. 
I had no signs of any problem. I mean, I don't have a problem with my heart or anything like that. Uh, I, I never have. I've always gone for stress tests and things like that and always told I was the last person to have a heart attack. And uh, it was just one of those things. You know, he said it's genetic and it was a piece of plaque that fell off the side of my wall. I didn't even uh, have like a total blockage or anything like that. I had a little bit of plaque on the sides of walls in one area of my artery just below my heart. I had found that out when I went for a CT scan in 2003. They said you have a little bit of plaque buildup, you know. So 12 years later, the plaque might have built up a little bit more, fell off the side of the artery and blocked my artery completely and just sent me into cardiac arrest. Were you alone in the room at the time or your wife was there? I was, but my wife heard me gurgling and, you know, I'm a real character. So thankfully she came in, you know, and checked me. And we used to practice because when we joined with you guys in 95, I was always a guy that wanted to jump in and do stuff. And in the late 90s, when I went back for the training, the first thing they said was, call 911. And that was something I never, I never did and never thought of. So it was a big change for me to do. So I brought that in, into my own household with my wife. If I was moving furniture or something, I would say, okay, I went down. What do you do? Call 911. My kids, call 911. <laughs> so it became part of what we do in the, in the house, of, of what our thinking is. Right. So when my wife saw me, her immediate response was call 911. You know, which was start the ball rolling, which saved me in the long run. My heart ended up stopping for only a minute, a little, little over a minute as a result of that because she was on the phone with the 911 operator and uh, she said, I've lost his pulse. She said, well, turn him on his side, try to, she goes, they're coming up the stairs. Oh, so they well, got there very quickly. Quick yeah, well, so they're the, only six blocks away. So that was engine 308? That was 308 engine, yeah. Right. So they started CPR? Yeah, he had told me, he put it in proper perspective because for a month I didn't know. I woke up in the hospital, I was fine. Yeah, all right, I had this thing, but he said, Kenny, no, you were done, you were blue. He said, and I started pumping and your color came back and then we zapped you for the third time and then your heart got back going, you know. And then, of course, the paramedics were at Liberty Avenue, just around the corner. And they got the call and were immediately at my house. The paramedics from Jamaica Hospital were also on the road and not far from where I was. So all three combined to be in enough time that my heart had stopped for a little more, maybe a minute, maybe. All these things coincided to make me one lucky guy. <laughs> it was ironic, without a doubt, to be saved by the fire department, you know, after all the years I put in, you know. Was... A witnessed cardiac arrest has a better success rate of bringing somebody oh, back yeah. than unwitnessed. And clearly, uh, Engine 308 being only six blocks away, and then the EMS units yeah. uh, being uh, close by, <laughs> just by chance. Um, all of that is a factor in. Oh, yeah. Because I've seen it so many times when I was in the. You know what I mean? Like, right. once the paramedic get there and now they're putting you all the tubes and connecting right. you with stuff and giving you an opportunity to. Giving you medication. You know, yeah, to really have a great chance at surviving. Well, a lot of people know? don't realize that whole emergency room is coming to you. Yeah. When you're in cardiac arrest. Yeah, I found so that out. Everything you know? that can be provided in the yeah. emergency room is being provided at the scene. It really, it was incredible. Because a week before, I was in California doing cement work at my daughter's house in L.A. And had I gone down there, that would have been it. Because she has a fence around the property and nobody would have gone home. It's, I, I just can't believe that it happened then. It's just meant to be, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Timing. So I was really, really lucky. You know, I mean, that was the whole point of the certified first responder training is because the firehouses are 
strategically positioned on yes. average have a four to five minute response time to their first due area. And that's the type of response time you need for somebody who's in cardiac arrest. You know, the faster the better, which is why we need bystander CPR. So you get out of the hospital within about yeah, a week. Yeah, not even, yeah. Wasn't Was even there a recovery time at no. home? No, within 10 days, I went to see him. He said, you can go back to doing whatever you want. I went to uh, heart things, you know, at uh, NYU and different things that they tested my heart. He said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. You can go back. I go, so I can take the lights off the house? I'm not, no problem. He goes, yep, you can do that. You know, so my nieces were coming over and I'm on the roof and they're freaking out. <laughs> At the Christmas decorations? Yeah. <laughs> the guys put them up because I couldn't put them up. <laughs> so they did it for me, but it was time to take them down. So I was good. But it was a fascinating experience later on to, to meet the EMS So people. we fast forward now to every May, uh, the third week of May, is the National EMS Week. Right. And during that week, since the inception of the Certified First Responder Program, we've been doing this Second Chance Brunch, where we invite people who are survivors of cardiac arrest to come have brunch with the people who did CPR, defibrillated them, and uh, restored their heartbeat. It's probably one of the most moving events of this department that I've ever been to. Oh, it's wonderful. Right? It really is. It's so you get great. that phone call, right? I'm saying, shocked. So would you that, like that, to attend? Yeah, and I was shocked when I asked. They said they offer about 50 people, and they usually get around 15. You know, that people, I'm shocked that people don't want to come and say, you know, thanks. <laughs> you know, I, it, it reminds me of uh, how people deal with 9-11, right? Some people don't want to, oh, as survivors and responders, yeah. right? Some people don't ever want to go back there again. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk about it. And then other people, you know, embrace the opportunity oh, yeah. to share their yeah. experience. Without a doubt, you know. And I, th I find that cardiac arrest survivors are very similar. Some embrace the opportunity to share their experience, and others don't even want to think about really? it. Really? Oh, I just thought it was conflicts. I never thought people feel, I don't want to go there. Yeah, they just want to feel I'll go there any time. It doesn't bother me because, like, I'm here. So uh, what better thing than that? And it was wonderful to meet them, the two young women and the two uh, guys from the hospital. I didn't even know that they had been there. And now, um, if I remember correctly, you came in dress uniform? Yes. Which is confusing to people, right? Because they don't always realize that you're one of the survivors. They think you're one yeah. of the first responders. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, they did, I think. <laughs> Except the chief said it, because <laughs> he knew me. <laughs> we have Kenny here, you know. And, of course, my friend uh, Flip Mullen was there, too. He yes, Flip Mullen was also you know. a survivor, yeah. uh, retired firefighter. Well, we thought it was amazing that we would have two retired firefighters at the yeah. same Second chance. It brunch. is, I think. It, but it's, it's a tribute to the EMS and to the program and the way things have gone over the years where it was unusual. Did you hear what happened? The lieutenant got saved by the guy. You know what I mean? Like, and then it became like, this is not uncommon now. Right. You know what I mean? And it had to come full circle like that. And it, it had a rough road for a long time. But being on the ground floor in the beginning made me adjust to the idea of EMS and sharing that and coming in with EMS, you know, in 95. And I was in the truck, so uh, I was a little um, a little envious of the engine going out and doing the stuff. So you didn't come into the training program not until, until the not, truck They didn't give it did. to the trucks. Right. So when the truck was available, I took it. Mm -hmm. I had never kept up my uh, EMS because uh, certification because 
you know, they did away with the program. Right. And once they did away with the program, uh, you know, there was no real. That was you back had to in go the out 70s, of your, right? Yeah, that you had to go out of the program to go have it. And I wasn't going to really do that, you know. So I used my training over the years to do it at fires and people. I wanted to be trained to be able to do it to any, just like what you hope today EMS does and, and the training to teach people out in the street. Hey, I'm a survivor. It, I'm glad I'm around. I think that the more you can do this, there's going to be other people that'll be glad that are around. And just this, the idea that you did it, you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be a fascinating feeling, you know what I mean? Like, because I know it is in the fire department. Anytime I've done it, you know, with people uh, or saving people from a fire, it's just a, an incredible feeling that you've, it's deep down, it's on your subconscious level, it's not on, you know, you're not running around. No, it's not really or something or. you think about until or unless you're presented with the patient you saved and yeah. you're saying thank you to face-to-face, oh, -face, yes. you know, looking in each other's eyes. It's yeah. a very moving Oh, moment. I think they felt that way as well as I did. Yeah, they were really... Truly moved by it, yeah, both the two young guys and the two young women. You That's know. not anything you ever forget? No, no, I don't think so. It's not an easy job, EMS, and it helps you, I think, to go on when you see right in front of you some results of what your training was and what you've done and now what you've accomplished. So what was it like when you're face-to-face -face with the people who saved your life? What did you think? What did you say? How did you react? I saluted them, thanked them, and then I gave everybody a giant hug. It was wonderful to be able to look in their eyes and tell them, thank you for saving my life. I don't know if you realize it, because you do these things all the time. This means a lot, not only to all the people that are here, but my family. I lost my brother this year. Would have been tough, you know. It would have been tough, and it didn't happen because you went, just like my doctor, you went, got to training, thought this would be a good job, went and did it. Well, guess what? You were right. You saved my life, and thank you. And uh, I will not forget them, you know, without a doubt, you know, and haven't. And I, it, it was a great experience to have. And I really am happy that they're now at least doing something to give a person from EMS a pat on the back. We're coming up to the one-year anniversary. That's not the one year, but that's my new birthday. Uh, it's your new birthday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is that what it feels like? Is it like a Oh, renewal? without a doubt. Rebirth. Yeah, without a doubt. And I've never, don't get me wrong, I was never a person like that. Uh, I told people, look, I've lived my life to the fullest, and I have. Uh, the way I've lived my life is every day. I guess I was lucky to have the, the parents, the grandparents, to instill in you uh, a feeling of self-worth. Because there hasn't been a day that I uh, ever looked in the mirror and saw that I couldn't accomplish anything. That's beautiful. And as I got older, I realized that was a very important thing uh, that they had taught me. I saw it in the world, in the fire department, that people didn't always have that feeling about themselves. So I think what you're doing and, and thanking them helps to reinforce that feeling behind people about their self-worth and, and what they're doing. And uh, I'm telling you, it is more important than anything. And if this is one of the things that helps another EMS person do their job even better, you know, it's working. It's making it easier for people to do their job, you know, by seeing what they've accomplished. And it's come full circle to a point where, you know, like you're on the street, you're going to get competent great care from people who care and i'm happy that i'm here and uh, it's all through this whole program and the beginnings of this 
you know, if it had not been started, there's no 308 coming. Right. Maybe the paramedics are busy. Maybe they have a couple of them and they don't get to me in time. You know, I had no, uh, that's what he said to me, the doctor. He said, you have no brain damage or anything like that because it wasn't that long that your heart was stopped. He said, had it been, he probably would have had some problems. But that didn't occur because everybody was right there. And that doesn't happen if, unless people start the ball rolling back 30 and 40 years ago. When that started and the combination of the EMS to make things better, like you're saying with the fire department and having the engine respond. It's another backup system that we have that makes you feel good that you know that, you know, you have competent professional people waiting to, you know, put you in their, in their arms, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And certainly in this city, you can count on the first responders coming to help you. Amazing to see life go full circle like this. And I'm proud to be part of it and proud to be one of the members that they saved. Uh, to let all the EMS people out there know that their job is appreciated, appreciated by firefighters, by people in this city, you know, uh, it is. It's not just a job, you know what I mean? That is You're true. You're accomplishing something way past that, you know what I mean? But you've seen a change. You know, you've been around a long time, so you Absolutely. know. You went through it. You must have not have had a, uh, did you have a good feeling or a bad feeling, or do you don't want to answer that? About the merger? In 95, yeah. Well, did I you think it would help? Or I started the first responder training program in 94, huh? and um, I had mixed feelings about it, but I you know, would always go in and say, just like we can't refuse to train somebody to learn how to save a life, yes. you as firefighters couldn't refuse to learn how to save a life. Right. And um, so no matter what your personal feelings were about the politics, you had to rise above that and meet the mission. That was how I felt at the time, and, and I certainly still feel the same way. Right. Then when we were married, But it had to be hard. It was, it was diff very difficult. Yeah. It was very difficult. Um, you know, there was a lot of pushback from oh, people who yeah. didn't want to learn oh, yeah. this skill because they felt that this wasn't what they signed on for. That was right, what people exactly. would say. Right. This isn't what I signed on for. This has nothing to do with the job I do, which isn't really true because, like you said, you were responding to these calls for help. Sure. You were going to motor vehicle accidents, pedestrian struck. Yep. And instead of knowing what that's to not do, true at you all. would just do the best you could. Yeah, that's not true at all. You are. That is part of your job. It is absolutely part that's of your job. That's not saying I'm a, I signed on for just fires, that's not that's But that not was a, a sentiment that existed yes. at the time. Yes, yeah, it did. And um, it was difficult. We would have some arguments, oh, yeah. you know, in the classroom. Um, and I would tell people, listen, you can have a personal feeling, but you have to yeah. rise above that. And unless you want to go out there and tell the world that you're not willing to learn how to save a life, which I just don't think you're going to get a lot of support, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for that. But in the changes in life, this is what happens. The changes are not for the older people. The changes and the new thing are for the new people that are coming on. In anything that's changed, it takes time. And I go back to my first captain wrote Lattice 3, which was the first writing down in a booklet form on how to fight a fire. It wasn't written for the old guys. The old guys said, I don't need this guy to tell me how to fight a fire. I've been fighting a fire for 20 years. It was written for me. And EMS, it's the same. Us merging, it's going to take time. Absolutely. But it was a great idea. And I'm a perfect ending of what that tough time, that changing. Well, look what you did. Well, I am very happy to have you here. I am, so am I. Uh, very appreciative that you would 
share your story with everyone. Oh, no. My pleasure, really. Thanks. Thank you very much. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.